Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender bias at work. I'm Annie Rogaski, and I'm very excited about this episode. This is the first time that on this podcast, I've sat down with a male and female guest, and we've talked about some issues that people are talking about these days. Our guests in this episode are Dan and Marion. I don't want to spoil anything because I think this is one of the most fantastic conversations that I got to sit and listen to and sort of be a part of as well. So here are Dan and Marion. So welcome. Today I am here with Dan and Marion. Hi. Hello. It's great to have you both here. So this is the first time I have had a male and female guest at the same time talking about gender bias. So thank you for being willing to do this. I know this is a challenging topic and particularly now in our Me Too culture, there's a lot of emotion around gender topics. And so our guests today have, um, we're going to just use first names and hopefully that will enable us to be as open and honest as we can. And we're hoping that this will do a couple things. One, shed some light on some issues that are out there and also show how to have a, an adult constructive conversation mm-hmm. about difficult topics. So thank you again for being willing to do this. Mm-hmm. Just jumping in, so Me Too. Yep. I've talked with a lot of women about Me Too issues. I have had the great fortune through this podcast of talking with a lot of men about Me Too issues. And what I've heard um, from a lot of people is there's this tendency to want to pull back from the opposite gender and be safe. And that raises a lot of issues around it. I'd love to hear from the two of you, just what are some of the issues that you're hearing either in women conversations with women, male conversations with, with males? Like, What are you hearing that maybe we should be talking about more in the open? I know you said you heard a lot of interesting conversations, uh, so I, I'm, I'm yeah. dying to hear. Okay. Uh, and a bunch of these were from what I'll call my, my work circle of friends. Um, there was one guy who said immediately, oh yeah, this is about sex. And this is about how people aren't taught to ask for sex and people aren't taught to make it okay when that is declined or accepted or anything. It's just this nervous bundle. Uh, And he said, so there you are, you're a teenager and you've got hormones and you've got all these urges and you want to ask, but you don't know how. And it's this horrible loaded thing. Now, fast forward 10 years and you're in the business world and you've got the same sorts of things going on. Um, And so his his attitude is the Puritans really have a lot to answer for. Uh, We should really just uh, go back and talk about that. Interesting. I've heard some things along those lines. Yeah. What do you think, Marion? So there was a, a conversation in the French newspapers a couple of weeks ago around Me Too, which was um, as an answer to uh, to consent, which is a lot of what Me Too is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few women, including a very well-known older actress, wrote an article and an op-ed around uh, we want the right to be bothered on the streets. Mm. 
Hmm. And, and this caused quite a stir because, I mean, by definition, bothered is not something you actually want, right? By definition, <laughs> it's a negative thing. But they were claiming their, um, that a key part of their identity, the way they saw themselves as women, was to, to, to kind of be an object of sexual desire mm-hmm. uh, in public spaces, which, I mean, made me really mad because I think a lot of what we're trying to fight for is that the first thing that's known about us is not our bodies, right? It's not just our physical presence, especially in the workplace where you're trying to establish your intellectual capacity rather than just how you come out in your corporal mm. body, right? Mm. So. It's interesting to see that these these opinions are still out there, right? Including by women, and that's uh, like we were saying. It's so interesting that we're now hearing these conversations that were just not happening even just mm. last year. Yeah. To me, that one really caught me by surprise. Like seriously, we want to be bothered in public. That's something we need to claim in a newspaper. Wow. I read that too, and I was I was initially angry, and then I thought, well. Is it a, just a different perspective about sexuality in the United States versus in Europe? Are we too Puritan? And that's where some of the friction is coming from. But then also to your point, cat calling on the street is something different than how you're treated in the workplace. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so when you bring the, the like you were talking about, Dan, you, mm. how do you, so many uh, relationships um, start in the office that it's kind of bringing the street into the office and we have to deal with what does that mean. I don't know if, if your circle found any answers to that. Uh, no. I have a question for you, though. Do you feel like it's different in France, the way uh, men and women relate, whether that be on the street and catcalling all the way into the office? and. Yeah, there, there's a different culture, but I also have to preface this by saying I've not worked much in France. Mm. Almost my entire professional life is in the U.S. There is more flirting in France in the office mm. than there is in the U.S., and it's almost seen as um, a form of generous attention, mm-hmm. right? Like, you should be glad that the men are paying enough attention, <laughs> that they're commenting on how you're dressed and your new haircut and don't you look pretty today. So there's a different undercurrent. At the same time, I think gender roles are much more um, fluid in France than in the U.S. I think there's a lot more rigidity around, you know, men. You have to quite make a stand if you're going to wear a scarf or a pink shirt. You know, <laughs> where in France this would absolutely not be commented on, or mm. you know, men cook more in France. There's there's kind of a less, I think, of a price to pay to be a man taking on feminine, traditional Mm. roles in France. So that's outside the workplace. Uh, Yeah, in the workplace, I I just don't have enough years of experience to make Mm. a strong comparison. Well, you raised something interesting that I've heard people talking about, which is, where do I draw the line? So sex is one thing, mm-hmm. um, but then between here and sex, mm-hmm. there's a lot. Sure. There's, yeah. you look nice today, or I like your haircut, or yeah. that's a nice dress. And there's yeah. kind of this continuum that makes people nervous, I think. Oh. And navigating it often is a personal one-on-one. Like, where is our line, Dan, you and I, mm-hmm. versus Marion? Where is our line? And it's different. Are yeah. you hearing conversations around that, too? Uh, well, I mean, I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from. Like, you know, you hear stories and you get training and you do all of these things in a corporate environment. And um, 
you know, like the best policy is to just say nothing, but then you feel pretty constrained, right? Like that's not a great way to live. Just shut your mouth all the time. Right. Um, and yet uh, it's clear that um, when you make somebody feel small, that's not great. That's really unacceptable. Um, but how do you know how something's going to land before you say it? I mean, that's, that's dicey in the best of days. Uh, and in the software industry, we're not, we're not always the best at judging that. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if it's, I mean, I actually think of it as so, something so much bigger than gender, right? It's, mm. it's, it's that bigger diversity. Now, all of a sudden, mm. we have workplaces that are so much more mixed than they've ever been from geographic backgrounds and, yeah, I mean, even within the U.S., which is so diverse, but mm -hmm. now we're mixing so many cultures and genders and other things together. And it's, it's, there used to be at least one assumed workplace culture that was the dominant mm. kind of maybe male, white, you know, as seen, I don't know, in the movies, maybe kind of culture, right? <laughs> and now that's a minority at work. And so I think what we're struggling with with gender because it's such an obvious way to segment the population, but in other places as well, which is my intention is potentially so different from the impact I'm going to have, mm. right? And so uh, I see it because I'm also looking at the France, US, or other other mm. things. Uh, but I, yeah, I think that's that's the thing. You don't want people to be invisible. You don't want them to feel like you're not seeing mm -hmm. them and you're not engaging with them. But we have to ask to understand how our intentions are coming and impacting others. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, how do you start those conversations? Because I think people generally operate from a place of goodness and not wanting to offend. And sometimes I think people, either because of speed, we're moving fast and so we can't take the time to ask the questions, so we make assumptions, or just not knowing how to get your foot in the door with a question. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I had a conversation uh, with a coworker where we actually talked about contact. So we play basketball after lunch. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to play basketball when I was in high school, and I was a very uh, uh, handsy is not a great word for this conversation, but um, a very physical player. Sure. And that is just like natural for me in playing sports. And so when we're playing basketball, I kind of revert into that, and, and it's like a regular basketball game. And we were talking about, I think we might have been talking about one of my podcasts or something, somehow the topic came up, and I said, you know, if, if the way I play basketball makes you uncomfortable, please feel free to tell me. And he said mm -hmm. the same thing back to mm -hmm. me. And so we had enough of a relationship to have that conversation, but it was still kind of awkward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this stuff with people every day. Yeah. And, and just imagine if one of you had been uncomfortable with that the first time you played, like your, your friendship might not have survived that, mm -hmm. that conversation. Yeah. And so it's almost like a dipping your toe in the water. Like maybe you move closer to interactions that you're not quite sure if they are um, comfortable for the other person, but then have a conversation about that before you get there. Mm -hmm. um, but have either of you been in a situation where you've had that kind of conversation or do you have suggestions for how one might approach that? So... Uh, it's a story it was from college actually before work and it was uh, two people having a conversation from two people from very different cultures 
and he kept trying to get closer to her and she kept backing away by a few inches and he'd get closer and she'd back away and then eventually she was right up against the wall and everybody just burst out laughing because that was just this ridiculous moment of the, the, the their normal distance between people during a conversation was just so different that we had to stop and actually have a conversation about it. Um, but then as in years later in the workplace, having um, a, I think it was a book, but I'm not even sure if it was a book, that had kind of done research on different dimensions of cultures for the Swedish culture and the Irish culture and the French culture, the US culture and so on around dimensions of hierarchy between people or uh, the importance of other things. And then for people to have that neutral reference point to be able to say, okay, so we're not, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum on this dimension, let's have a conversation about it. And it was not my culture is right and your culture is wrong, it was just here's the data around generalities around the culture and maybe we should we can find a kind of a comfortable spot. Mm -hmm. I think it's a hard thing. It's it's hard to start that conversation. But what mm -hmm. I like about your story, Marianne, is that it, it if you have a either a third party who makes an observation about two people and their interaction or you have a book or a study or something where Maybe it's not even an immediate response to an interaction, but it's a separate, oh, did you read this article? It had this interesting take on um, cultural differences in personal space, um, finding ways to bring it up in a way that's not directed at the other person. But what I love about your, your story is that it provides the opportunity for a compromise. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think it's not just cultural. I think there are a lot of individual personal space issues. I have one person in mind that I, was, uh, uh, that I worked with for many years, and she just did not want to be touched. She didn't want anyone in her personal space, and it wasn't cultural. It was just mm -hmm. she was a little mm -hmm. bit of a germophobe and just didn't want mm -hmm. people in her space. Yeah. And she would tell people. She had no problem telling people. Um, but not everyone's that comfortable. Yeah. And was that awkward for her sometimes? Uh, yeah, I mean, but... But the interesting thing, and this is consistent with your story, is you could read the body language. Uh, I think there's a lot there too. Like you can tell if somebody's backing, backing away or crossing their arms or giving some indicator that they're not comfortable. Hmm. Not everyone's good at reading those cues I though. I agree. One of the best articles I read sort of in prep for this though, <laughs> actually, so I, I, um, I have conversations with a friend of mine, we call them debates, but they're really nothing formal or anything, uh, who's a very libertarian. So I read this libertarian website and they had something following that that was talking about how, you know, we give off these signals t to the opposite gender all the time. And um, we're not, uh, you know, I mean, they're signals. They're not necessarily clear. If they were clear, they wouldn't be that way. And so the point of the article though was that, you know, you should say, all right, if I'm uncomfortable with a person, I'll give them these signals. But then if they don't understand that, I will do X, Y, and Z. And there's all, seems like there's a lot of people who get paralyzed at that, but then I'll do this step. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was like, you know, an excellent point that, that we should all take to heart. And I spent, spent the evening thinking about like, okay, I've got a two-year-old son, like how do I teach him that so that he doesn't get walked over in his life and that when somebody notices that he's doing something wrong that he can accept it you know sort of gracefully and, and catch on mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know he's two and a half <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Uh, 
Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, and I think to, to add on top of that, there's another layer, which is when there's a perceived kind of systemic imbalance between mm. people's abilities to read signals, that's when there's that kind of resentment and anger. And so I think now we're seeing mm. uh, both we all want to be as kind of gracious and articulate and mm. like constructive as we can be and every once in a while you catch us on a not so good day mm -hmm. <laughs> or uh or maybe on a day where you think well why is it still my turn to be gracious if mm. like the person on the opposite side has been kind of pig-headed and yeah. not listening to the signals and not respectful and like at some point the burden should not be on me right. anymore right right I remember you the last time we talked I think you talked about this like this level between um, calling out it calling it out when people are being wrong versus calling it out all the time and sort of getting la labeled as the naggy one who's always calling it out yeah I think that is a fine line and I think uh, you know both sides have to take some responsibility there yeah. but I think there are a lot of lazy travelers in this world you know where they're just going, oh, you know <laughs> Yeah, somebody will tell me if I'm doing it wrong and just kind of mm. mosey through life that way. Yeah, but maybe, I mean, I don't know, I have to check myself on where I was going instantly, but I was going like, isn't that a stance you can only take if you're in the dominant group, right? I mean, because mm. if you're not, you can't mosey mm. through life without thinking about it. You have to develop a level of uh, awareness, right? Mm -hmm. is... Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, um, on this point, uh, there's been a lot of discussion around men speaking up when men say something offensive, whether women are in the room or not. Um, and that, I've, I've talked with some friends about that, and it seems like it's a really difficult thing. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamics of being a guy and what that is like and some of the pressures around that? So I'll tell two stories. Um, the, the second one <laughs> was with a guy I was actually asking about this. And I was actually sort of prodding him. I'm like, oh, so, you know, and he, this is more of a gruff guy's guy sort of, sort of fellow. And, and I said, so do you talk about, with your friends about me too? He's like, shrug, no, nah, not really. And, and, I'm, and then he's like, well, we did tell a joke. And I'm like, well, what was the joke? And he says, well, I told my... My buddy said, oh, did you check out her, I checked out her cleavage. And he said, hashtag me too. Like that was his, his joke. And so it's clearly inappropriate and I didn't call him on it. I like, I kind of asked for it really. Uh, but then I have my other friend, the, the, the guy I sometimes debate at work. And he, he, was, uh, he was pushing this narrative that, uh, well, you know, some of these women who, who are raped, you know, they make it up. And I was like, dude, <laughs> you cannot do not say that, um, you know? And then we had a conversation about like why you don't say that and what the history of that sort of argument is. And he's like, oh, oh, thank you. You know, like he was really grateful. That's right. Um, so uh, I don't think we're perfect men, uh, obviously. Uh, but I think, I think it's coming. I think it's happening. I think some of Me Too is rubbing off and I, I hope it gets better. When you were telling that story, Dan, mm -hmm. I was thinking I was at this conference recently on uh, women in STEM mm -hmm. and it was intentionally a conference that had almost 50% men and women and there was a panel where it was largely academics I think mm -hmm. and and one was a, a psychologist who talked about some of the psychological aspects of harassment and and offered this spectrum of anywhere from you look nice today to mm -hmm. you know propositioning which was really helpful I think for the audience to hear that 
But someone asked a question that was along those lines. Mm-hmm. And my buddy was uh, accused of rape, but he said he didn't do it. So, you know, why, mm-hmm. what do we do when women make these things mm-hmm. up? And, and the academic guy said, well, why don't you believe her? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, like, I'm glad these conversations are coming up because it does give you a chance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have those kinds of conversations, you need some information. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say, dude, that's not cool, mm-hmm. which might have an impact, mm-hmm. but I think it's much more impactful to talk about the actual issue like you did, because mm-hmm. then it makes an impact on that person in a deeper way, maybe mm-hmm. getting them thinking about it, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, Shutting it down. oh, he thinks I'm a jerk, or, yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, part of it is this guy is just, like, super generous in his listening, so it, it was a place where I could make a comment like that, and we could have a conversation. Um, safe places is an important thing too for these conversations and it's hard it's almost like you have pods of safety where you can talk like this feels Mm -hmm. like a safe place where we can have this conversation and then maybe that spills out to others and it's this slow creep where eventually people get brought into that safe place and there's more overlap and yeah yeah, that's a nice image like little ripples of growing pods yeah Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we're going backwards. I don't like, like n- nobody's gonna get treated the way some of these women, you know, the Harvey Weinstein situation and the whole thing, like nobody's gonna be treated like that and think, yeah, okay, I can't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. Some big powerful men. Although I, I keep waiting for the president to finally like take a hit from this. <laughs> Are you guys waiting too? We've been waiting since, since long before the election. Well, yes, I, I mean, like, fair enough, but I just... Yeah, yeah I think that's a big sign that things are not completely changed yet. Like, how in the world is he... Still up there? Yeah. Yeah, protected, yeah. But, you know, there's an interesting uh, perspective, which is my 12-year-old daughter, who's saying, I don't want to go to yet one more girls-only leadership class because why are we just focusing on girls? Where are the boys? Why are we not paying attention to the boys anymore? And so, you know, mm-hmm. in our attention to um, rebalance things and say, okay, girls have been traditionally excluded more from some of the opportunities in STEM and so on. Let's have all these girl spaces, girl activities. And it's backfiring somewhat where the girls are saying, I don't have any lived experience of inequality yet mm. right. and it's starting to feel <laughs> unjust right poor boys they're not getting the same you know yeah. opportunities <clears throat> that we're getting as girls and so i thought that was that was kind of a an interesting take on it yeah and there's also this this discussion now uh about the toxic masculinity mm. and are men expected to live up to some standard that creates this culture that we're in and how do we enable boys? So you have a two and a half year old son. How, how does he grow up in an environment where he can cry and it's acceptable and mm-hmm. he can show affection to his, his male friends mm-hmm. and it's not misperceived as anything? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this interesting time. I don't have kids, but you both do. And, and so it's like the, the generation that's growing up now with the environment that we're in as adults mm-hmm might be shaped in such a more compassionate and attentive way to be themselves and not your boys and your girls and act accordingly. Mm-hmm. And what are you seeing as parents out there as we 
navigate this issue? Well, my kids too. I'm just still trying to think about this. I mean, like, yeah. like in my own childhood, I mean, I grew up in the 70s and the Catholic church in small town, rural. I don't think I ever really got much, much awareness of gender issues, really. I mean, it was all kind of ignored and quiet and don't, don't complain and, you know, like that sort of thing. That's funny because as you said that, I flashback. I grew up in a relatively small town, Catholic upbringing, yeah, yeah. and I remember sitting in the, the parish hall mm -hmm. and it was all girls and we were being told things like we shouldn't wear tight jeans because it invited the wrong kind of behavior and it put it all mm -hmm. on us. Were they having the same conversations with you guys? No. I, no, I, I, feel, like we had, I feel like we had none of those conversations. Wow. And, and when it happened, it was sort of obliquely validating that. Like, mm -hmm. but, I, yeah. And I, I do not want my child to grow up that way. Like, he's going to be aware that these are issues and he's going to be aware that uh, there's some subtlety there uh, and that he's going to pay attention. Mm -hmm. I think there's um, there's something really interesting you said about the, the the kind of the super narrow confines of masculinity here, and how I think it's a steeper price to pay to try to step outside of those confines than it is for women. You know, in a way, in the last 10, 20, 30 years, now you can be a tomboy, you can be a girly girl, you can be so many things in between. But I think we haven't yet accomplished the same broadening for men, and then there's still part of the upbringing is all these tests of, are you going to be a man's man or not? And well, so it, that's tough, right? I mean, so my kid's going to grow up as presumably part of the historical dominant group, although like who knows what's coming, right? It's going to be a white dude. Uh, and if he gets the same training I got, he's, you know, probably 50-50 going to fall into the same pitfalls that we see people falling into today. Um, so it's really my job to like give him a better chance than that. Yeah. And I like training the girls. I think that's awesome and excellent, but I think we need to train the boys too. Oh yeah. No, I completely agree. But I think my, where my hope is coming from, and yeah. this is very much, I mean, we're in Northern California, so this mm -hmm. is happening here more than in other parts of the country. But you know, at Stanford where I work sometimes or in the schools where my kids are going to, there are so many conversations around um, social constructs of gender mm -hmm. and people are no longer seeing of people as fitting into two distinct buckets mm -hmm. and now there's this continuum and so because now we have this other voice which is I'm not a guy or I'm not a girl I'm defining myself differently in a more mm -hmm. uh, individual or fluid or some other way based on sexuality or not necessarily sexuality it's uh, such an interesting voice to say let's reinvent what it means mm. to be humans together, right? It's mm. no longer, we don't have to be on opposite sides of the fence. There's no fence. There's just this kind of path and where we want to be. So I, for me, that's such a, um, I don't know, spring of hope of, they might be the magic key to unlocking some of the conversations we need to have around mm. gender because they're not coming from a his versus her point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. But I don't know how we spread that everywhere, mm. right? Where there's not necessarily as much tolerance about that. That's true. Yeah, we are in a unique place yeah. geographically. But even so, there might not be as much discussion or awareness in other parts of the world, but certainly the, the gender fluidity exists everywhere. Mm -hmm. 
And as it becomes more culturally accepted, we're just going to see more, uh, more blending of the spectrum, I would imagine. But you're right, if it's not there are two genders and you're one or the other and this is the way one behaves and this is the way the other behaves, but there's a whole spectrum. It kind of gets away from the entire definition of how boys and girls should behave. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then there's a blank slate. Right. And then we could invent together. I mean, I keep thinking about this TED Talk, and I know you were there too, about um, uh, this couple, uh, I'm forgetting their name, Mm -hmm. Teek Milan and uh, Kim Katrin Milan. And and they're... um, uh, I don't know, I, I'm trying to not use words that they wouldn't have used, but I think he's a trans man and she's, a, I think, bisexual woman, but I, I forget. And they're um, people of color and they were saying, basically, we want to write new um, maps for where people can go in defining who they are and what their identities are. And I thought that is such a powerful thing to say. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no there's no one who's modeled what it's been like for people like them before. Mm-hmm. And so let's just be trailblazers. Let's just start new paths. Let's just show new ways. And I thought, oh, that's kind of phenomenal. And I mean, and, and they were amazing speakers and mm-hmm. so endearing mm-hmm. and, you know, so many other good But in the playground, it's still boys are playing together mm-hmm. and somewhat. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder about that a lot. I mean, okay, so maybe this is all out of date, but the psychology I learned in college, God, like 20 years ago, uh, talked about how, like, kids, when they're, you know, three or four, it's all about gender identity and figuring out where they where they land, and then presumably changing their behavior to kind of conform more to one or the other. Mm. And so, I, like, I don't, I don't, know if we'll get beyond gender mm-hmm. uh, but perhaps more flexibility in choosing how yeah. you want to identify yeah. I don't know yeah I think there are more um, spaces for exceptions on oh. the playground right and I hope so yeah yeah so uh, I really was impacted by the apology that Dan Harmon wrote did you guys read that He's the guy that ran the community sitcom for a number of years. Uh, and when the Me Too thing was happening, he sent out a thing saying, yeah, we should all support women. And this writer who was on his crew said, really? Like mm. on Twitter. And uh, so he took about a week and a half and then he, uh, on one of his podcasts, uh, did an apology. And it was extraordinary. Um, he really got to the core of what, what, what he did wrong uh, and owned all of it. Uh, and it, the, the ending part was lovely. It really, it really nailed me because he said, uh, you know, I treated this person badly and other people were telling me that I was treating her badly. She was telling me I was treating her badly, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I didn't do it and I justified it because I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it and suddenly I was like, back in my living room getting yelled at my wife, by my wife for not doing enough of the laundry and the housework and everything else, right? And I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, that kind of is fair. And if I thought about it a lot, I'd probably agree with her. And you know, oh, there's something I got to think about and do. And you know, like I did the exact same thing. Um, and I, 
I don't know if this is what other men go through. I know this is what Dan Harmon expressed, and I know it's what I felt, is that um, the lie isn't, well, she's a woman and she deserves it. it the lie is, eh, she cares about it more than I do, whatever, or, or, or something along those lines. Mm. That's, that's, to me, where my experience is of how we lie to ourselves and how we get there. So I've been wondering about something related to this, which is, you know, Me Too is coming out and then these numbers are coming out. Like one that struck me last week was, this is a study from last year on if there's, in the leadership team, 10% are women, half the men are gonna think women are well represented at the senior leadership level, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, when we're looking at the number one in 10 versus one in two, it's kind of a, a big difference in number. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think maybe it's what you're talking about. There's this kind of cognitive dissonance of I, you have to reach a certain threshold before you're going from this is just, I've got so many things to handle in my life and this is not gonna rise to that level mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm gonna drop everything and deal with it versus, and I think honestly, most men are willing to be allies, but the price might be so high to jump from the, my life is fine, I'm not paying too much attention. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is a problem, but you know, it's not rising to that level to, mm -hmm. okay, now I'm gonna be known as the guy who takes on that issue and is gonna fight mm -hmm. for women and it becomes such a prominent issue. And so I, I don't know, I don't know what that steep, change looks like I don't know what that threshold is like and mm -hmm. I and, and I wonder what it's like to be a guy and to read these stories and to think what's the internal reasoning it's like yeah that's a problem but not in my organization or or mm. or I would speak up or or maybe that's exaggerated or you know how good is the data I mean I mm -hmm. ask myself the same questions mm -hmm. but I, I I think as a woman it's easy to read the data and go instantly to well I'm outraged and I'm righteously outraged you know mm -hmm versus what's the interesting conversation that's happening mm. in when you're reading these stories, mm. right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We had a fascinating conversation at work the other day. So I'm on a team of maybe 30, 40, mostly dudes. Uh, I think there are two women on the team. Uh, and they were doing going over our poll numbers and diversity came up as a problem on our team. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> we've got a problem and everybody's looking around like yeah we've got a problem what are we going to do about it and and then people are like well i think it's because of this historical reason well yes but still there are teams within our company that do better so why aren't we doing better and and um it was really an awkward painful sort of conversation because there are all these guys there that do want to be allies that do want to uh support and empower and whatever uh and they're just feeling like they can't get there and they're not sure why. I hear a lot of, you know, we don't discriminate against women. I, you know, I'll hire the best person for the job, mm -hmm. but there's a lot behind that. You know, what is there um, bias in your recruitment processes mm -hmm. or bias mm -hmm. in your hiring processes or bias in, and so there are different ways of helping and certainly not doing harm or not mm -hmm. actively discriminating is great. That's good. Uh, maybe that's a baseline. Mm -hmm. But from there, what can you do? And what I was struck, Marion, by what you said is kind of as you go along that spectrum, it's are you going to be the guy who's known for speaking out? And I know I'm the woman known for speaking out about gender issues. Um, 
And I've sort of embraced that as part of who I am. But I don't like to be that person. I don't like to call it out all the time. I try to do it as a joke. But in my head, I'm hearing, um, I'm sure my coworkers are sick of me drawing attention to gender every single time something like this comes up. And I do that internal calculus of, Mm -hmm. should I talk about it again? Mm -hmm. Are they just going to be pissed off at me for Mm -hmm. saying that, you know, there is a personal cost to being that guy or that woman who brings up gender issues a lot. Mm -hmm. But if we don't bring it up a lot, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't, you don't have to think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Coming back Mm -hmm. to Dan, your your story, I don't have to think about it. It's not top of mind. I don't know how we bridge that. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, sometimes our allies are going to come from unlikely places, right? So uh, just, this is not directly related to this, but the 17, 18-year-olds, right, who are marching to change gun laws. I think that's mm. not, no one saw this coming as mm. this was going to be the mm. tip of the arrow about how things was going to change in, in that part of the world. So mm. maybe maybe a non-likely place. Maybe, you know, I keep thinking about, again, that kind of non-binary view of the world. I find some really fascinating conversations with my gay friends around, you know, some of these topics, like, okay, maybe they're our best allies in having these conversations because they're kind of a minority within a majority, which is what women, you know, especially white women are, a minority and a majority at the same Mm. time. So, um, I don't know, I'm hopeful today. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point, and I do think that the the groups that are that have experienced both being in the majority and the minority have a unique perspective that can mm. can see both sides mm. and understand some of the challenges of the majority group and certainly the frustrations of the minority group. And maybe it's just a matter of of banding forces with those who fall into both groups and leveraging those numbers to talk more about it. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, I remember one of the great conversations I had with Dan was just opening my mind about places where we women are the majority and where it's harder to be a man. And so typically, you know, playgrounds are kind of nurturing spaces, right? And so the story, and I hope Dan, I'm retelling it kind of accurately, which was if Dan is at the airport and there's a lost child as a lone man for him to Mm. come help the lost child, comes at, you really have to do your calculus on how this is going yeah. to be perceived and is it helpful to you have come to be, talk to the child or not. Yeah. I, I mean, this happens to me on the playground every once in a while. There'll be a kid there who needs help with something. You know, they're stuck in the, the, the pot uh, swing or whatever. Yeah. And they'll call for help and whoever the adult is with them is not with them. And so I'll be like extra loud, like, do you need help? What would you like me to do? And like, you know, like kind of looking around so there are witnesses hearing that I clearly asked before I touched this child. And yeah, I mean, you know, and that's like that's a very small burden that I carry, right? But it's, it's weird to think of myself as huh, someone perceiving me as a sexual predator or something crazy like that. But it's also there, right? You know, like, you know, you go to buy a house and your agent comes in and says, well, there's 13 sexual predators registered in that, you know, six block region. Like, oh, Jesus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's there. Everybody's thinking about it. It is. I mean, I, I have been at playgrounds. We have friends who have kids and we've hung out. And, and I've sensed that it's, 
I sometimes feel uncomfortable not mm. having a child. They're mm. like, why is this lady just hanging out at mm -hmm. the, the park? But I know my husband feels much more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like what's it? And he'll, we'll hang out together. So, yeah. it, yeah. you know, so we have that bond. Yeah. 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 But it's, um, there are a lot of perceptions that I think a lot of the perceptions we have about men that are like that mm -hmm. need to change things like, you know, paternity leave, the stigma on paternity mm -hmm. leave yeah. until we, we have more, equality on the other side of where men feel stigmatized for doing things that are traditionally associated with women, um, we need that too. Yeah, and I think, you know, us getting more flexibility in the work-life juggle also comes <laughs> because we have a lot of men saying, I want to see my kids, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to work for 40 years and not raise them and try to get to know them once I've retired. So mm -hmm. I do want more flexibility around my work hours so I can see a baseball game or take them to the field trip or something. So on so many uh, dimensions, we're actually asking for the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we also had this interesting conversation, which is, I come out as kind of a strong feminist, but I keep reminding people I actually think women are no better than men. It's kind of this, mm -hmm. this group mentality of if you're in uh, a group of women, and, and I had this experience recently, and there was a, a minority man who was presenting his work, and, and um, somebody made a comment of, oh, this is such a boy's work. And I thought, wow. <laughs> put in the same situation, women don't behave better than men. It's yeah. just we need a level of awareness and of decency mm. that is not there if you don't have to think about it. And you know, women have had to think about it, maybe more than men generally, and so maybe mm. more than men, they generally are not the offenders. Uh, but it's not in our DNA to be better humans. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it may just be a numbers game. Yeah. If we, if we truly had 50-50, then we'd all be kept in check. Yeah. I usually end an episode with a challenge. You know this. I know this. Uh-oh. Do you, I don't know this. Do you <laughs> want to, to, to work together to come up with a challenge for our listeners of something that they can, something easy they can do in the workplace, I would say, to advance the conversation around these issues? Things I'm thinking around are... Uh, giving yourself permission to have that awkward conversation. Mm. But that's not, I don't know if that's an easy thing that people can do. Well, I think that's super positive, right? To, to, to reframe awkward as um, a space we need to walk towards in order to get better, mm. right? So, so awkward is desirable mm. in a way, which I think is, if it's with the intent, obviously, of advancing <laughs> how, how we have these. Yeah, I think it's a good one. We could have a contest to see who has the most, <laughs> the most awkward <laughs> conversations with the intention that you mentioned. It can't just be have an awkward conversation. It has to be for this purpose. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Like, how would someone, if someone hears this, mm -hmm. I mean, let me rephrase that. For the many people who hear this <laughs> and think, okay, I'm ready I want to do something, I'm going to take their challenge, I'm going to embrace an awkward conversation. What do they do? Well, I think some of it is going to be a leap of faith, right? Because you're trusting the other person to be an ally. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assert that there are more allies out there than you know about. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, and just find a way to start that conversation. And maybe you can start it with, hey, maybe this is going to be awkward, but... Yeah, I think that's super powerful, calling it for what it is. This is going to be awkward. Let's just start there. Yeah. (laughs) So are we okay having this awkward conversation? Yeah. What are some questions people could ask? So they've decided they're going to start that conversation. Maybe they preface it with, this might be a little bit awkward. But I wanted to ask you... I mean, to go back to something you were saying earlier, which is, in a way, what we're saying is don't assume that people want to be treated the way you want to be treated or the way you think they want to be treated, right? Ask them how they want to be treated. So maybe that's where the conversation goes is, okay, so this might be awkward, but if I notice that you got a lovely haircut, do you want me to comment Mm. on this? Is Mm. that acceptable? You know, maybe Mm. you start with something kind of neutral like this Mm. and then then move, I don't know. Maybe do really deep things. (laughs) (laughs) it's a small thing right yeah um yeah i don't know i my the thing i really want to say here is uh if you're a person out there and you notice that you're intentionally not thinking about this you know like (laughs) stop it's it's really you've got to just stop and take a look at it and you don't have to act on it today like if that's what it takes like think about it for a little while but God, engage. God. Awesome. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you both for being willing to have it. You're welcome. Thank you. And uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to. I hope you enjoyed that. I am thrilled that Dan and Marion sat down to talk with me and to share their thoughts with all of you. These are the kinds of conversations we should be having, and it struck me that the two of them were able to give their attention to each other, to listen to each other, to provide a safe, non-judgmental environment so that the other person could be more open. And they, I think, didn't always agree. They had some interesting discussions on topics that I think a lot of people are, if not talking about these days, certainly thinking about. And the more we can take conversations away from single gender discussions and mix it up, I think the better. Hopefully this episode gave you a model of how to approach some of these conversations, maybe with your coworkers, maybe with your friends, maybe with your family or significant other. They're hard conversations to have, but they're important and I think they move us forward to a better place. So I hope you accept their challenges. I hope you embrace a little awkwardness. I am going to try to do that as well. And hopefully I can convince Dan and Marion to come back in a month or a few months and share their thoughts on some additional topics. If you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed, let me know. If you would like to come on with a friend of yours of another gender, let me know. You can reach me at unravelingpink.com contact. You can message me on Twitter at Unraveling Pink. Love to hear from you and would love your feedback on this episode, what you thought of it. It's a different format than we've done in the past. If you liked it, please review Unraveling Pink on the podcast provider that you use. Every little bit helps and gets the word out. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Dan and Marion. 
together we can unravel the pink bandana.